0: Inspiring you to reach your goals and live your dream. And live
1: your dream. This is the Keaton Nelson awesome Show. Uh, today's guest uh, was living his best life at age twenty-five. He had million dollars under management. He was married to the girl of his dreams until the knock at the door changed it all. He was arrested and sentenced to two years in prison for screwing up some paperwork. For the last nine years, he's been working to help. Uh, insen- incarcerated citizens realize their purpose and reverse engineer a plan to live with intent and ultimately greatness ladies and gentlemen please welcome today's guest travis Ritchie. bro thank you so much for being on thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure yeah man got a crazy story well somewhat crazy um where, where are you from originally man
0: i grew up on the east coast in boston
1: oh no way i'm in rhode island so yeah about an hour away cool yeah um so you went to high school, you got out and you were doing like what, uh,
0: financial services and things like that? or Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Basically raising money. And, um, you know, this was the height of basically the height of Wall Street. You know, when you kind of look back prior to the Great Recession, you know, you had the big buildup, the dot-com era really set up the market to boom. And then it moved into, um, you know, 04, 05, 06, 07, you know, this big buildup where, you know, there was more money in the market than we had ever seen before. Uh, the stock market, you know, the housing market was just on fire in a good way. Everybody was flipping three and four or five homes. You know, there was equity all over the place. Um, it's kind of an interesting story if you parallel that 04 to 09 period to what we're going through at the present time, but we can get into that later. And, and yeah, so we were raising money. And I uh, was out there, just kind of had the tiger by the tail. And unfortunately, the state of Arizona didn't enjoy what we were doing. And so really, really to to break it down to everybody, my, my charge is transactions of an unregistered securities dealer or salesman. Really big, long, fancy.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. It's
0: Greek to me. Exactly. So um, many moons ago, you know, you're going back 15 years at this point. The state of Arizona's registration requirements to raise capital did not look at registration the same way the federal government did. For example, legalizing legalization of marijuana at present, you can purchase it in certain cities, and certain states, and you can't take it to other states and cities. But at the end of the day, the federal government still says it's an illegal substance and we'll send you to prison if you have a U-Haul truck full of marijuana. So the registration component, which in the federal and the, and the state laws, they don't have to mirror one another. So we had our fund registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission and had a Reg D Rule 506 filing for accredited exempt investors. So what that meant was we were dealing with high net worth individuals, individuals who attested to us that they had millions of dollars in net worth and were uh, two hundred and fifty dollars to $300,000 W-2 earners. So high net worth individuals. And so because of that, we registered exempt with the states and we registered federally, simply put. So what the state of Arizona wanted was some dollars from the money that was raised in their state. It just comes down to money. And so they knocked on the door with a thesaurus of an indictment. First time I ever knew what an indictment was and uh, even and learn anything about, you know, the justice system from a personal perspective. And so their indictment, I figured, was just a misunderstanding. And so right. I... So
1: you're like, I, I registered with the feds. Well, yeah. What's wrong? Uh,
0: <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And because of that, you know, we sat down with the feds. I sat down with the SEC and the FBI over lunch at Applebee's for, for many months, and they poured through our documentation. And yeah. then they gave us a clean bill of health and chose... Uh, to move on wrote us a letter of recommendation and so the state of arizona picked that case up and moved forward on it um, because in the state of arizona at the time i had raised a little over three million dollars and so in the state of arizona at the time anything that was not registered over the ninety-nine thousand dollar threshold was considered a felony because of failure to register so
1: i mean that's just it's like a clerical error and you had to go, go to prison for it. That's wild. Um, so what was it like the court process and stuff? I mean, like, did you get, did they put you in handcuffs and bring you to jail and, or was it like white collar? What was this like? It's not like you got busted for heroin and they, they put you, put your hands behind your back and part you in. It was more of like this conversation they're having with you over time. Yeah
0: you're right. That conversation actually lasted about six and a half years. So yeah, the charge was from 06 and, uh, I didn't actually go inside until 2012. And, you know, we had fought the case for many, many years and and just became really exhausted. You know, up until that point, I had never been formally, you know, charged or formally arrested with anything. I'd never been put in handcuffs and, you know, was never led away, you know, kind of ducked, out, out the back of a courtroom into a SWAT car none of that stuff. Yeah. Mine was a, a very backdoor, back and forth, um, you know, tennis match between the state's attorney general and my legal counsel. And so each month, um, each, each month, every other month, every quarter we would walk into that courtroom and nothing would be settled. It was just arguments back and forth. And at, after nothing was settled, you know, I would get an email with thousands of dollars in legal fees. And, and for me, you know, it, it becomes a numbing process. It's hard to explain that to people when you're, when you're not involved in it, but on one, on one hand, you're living your life. You know, my wife and I are married. She's finishing up her, her undergraduate degree in college. I'm running a fund. I have investors to take care of, you know, we're, we're building a home. You're still going to church. You still have family obligations, friends, all of these things in life that, take up a little bit of mental space, a little bit of time, a little bit of energy. And at the same time, every 30, 45, 60 days, I'm walking in and I'm fighting the state of Arizona and nothing comes out of it. Nothing. You become exhausted, exhausted, exhausted. So I, I, you know, my wife and I got to the point where we just said, Hey, whatever's coming cannot be as bad as this. This is never going to end. I'm in the, I'm in the blender. You know, and I'm just never going to get out of this thing. So, anyhow, you know, we put it before a judge in uh, January, and of 2013. And that judge, his words to me in that courtroom, he used a lot of my background against me. He used the education component. He used my pedigree. He used my my ability to raise as much money as I did at a young age. Used all of that against me and said that I basically should, should have known better to register, especially with a legal team and counsel. And said, because of that, he was going to make an example out of me. And, and that that's what point, it sounds
1: like, right? I mean, like, yeah,
0: I think two years in prison
1: for like literally paperwork, you'd think they give you like yeah. a slap on the wrist, some fines, or, or something. Um, like, it, it does sound like you pissed someone off and they wanted to, you know,
0: thousand percent. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, and, you know, when you read those court transcripts, when you hear that out loud, you know, that's something like that happens on an HBO show. Right, it, exactly. It's not your life and it's not something that you say out loud. And it's definitely, you know, when you're looking at the justice system, there's two ways to view it. You can either view it from a a punitive lens, which is like a punishment, or you can view it from a rehabilitative lens. And for me, up until that point in my life, and and now fast forward a decade later, everything that I'm focused on and was focused on, you know, was, was all about reform and rehabilitation. When you're looking at individuals who go and get incarcerated the idea to kind of put somebody in a corner for, for an undetermined or a determined period of time based on actions hasn't proven in our society to work well. And what I mean by that to boil it down is eight out of 10 individuals that go and, and get incarcerated, go to prison, those same 80% of people go back every year. Yeah, the recidivism rate crazy. Recidivism rates through the roof. And when you start to yeah. look over the years, you know we're building prisons at double the rate, triple the rate in some states, from from what we've built institutions of of learning, colleges, higher education, and so when you when you think about that and you put it in like everyday context for the folks that are listening, if you had eight out of ten Delta Airlines fall out of the sky today, honestly, you wouldn't you wouldn't book a flight this week, this month, this year, but next year you'd get more people to book a flight and you get more airplane dollars and you get more. Revenue the the prison system is that way, it's so backwards to people when you have a broken system, a system that doesn't actually serve an end result, a system that does not feed a perfect opportunity for these folks to rehabilitate. But yet, every year they get more people and more money.
1: Yeah, well, I think that's what it comes down to, right? From the outside looking in, like I've never been in jail, never been in prison, never been in handcuffs, actually. Um, I mean, it's that it's a machine that they get a bunch of cheap labor. They get, yep. uh, I mean, tons of tax dollars going in their pocket. I mean, of course they want these people coming back.
0: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And there's really no, there's really no uh, threshold to say, oh, well, <clears throat> you know, uh, Keaton should have made it. Travis should have made it. Why didn't they? Nobody dives into that. Instead, what they say is Keaton's not going to make it. Travis isn't going to make it. And so when you do come back, it's a normalcy. It's not a shock factor. I I'll, I'll never forget, I was sitting down with a a particular state uh, Department of Corrections and was in a big boardroom walking through the reentry curriculum that we were putting into their state. And one of the deputy directors looked at me and he said, boy, he sat back in his chair and he said, boy, you're 1% of 1%. I'm really, really proud of what you've accomplished. And I, and I took that in for a minute and I said, hey, I'm, thank you. You know, thank you for recognizing not only myself, you know, my fortitude and what we've accomplished. However, doesn't it strike you as you being the person who's in charge that I'm the exception to the rules that you're creating? I should be the norm.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: And he was just, you know, a little bit floored, a little bit, you know, red faced, a little bit annoyed at my comment. But that is where when I was incarcerated, that's where my purpose came from. When I went down, you know, I, I was, I was sentenced to two years. And so I often talk about that 17,520 hours becoming, you know, right. the, the the precipice of what's next. I didn't, I didn't serve those full two years. I served 15 months of those full two years. The state of Arizona had a, a shortened good time period. And then from there, I also had some early parole credits based on you know what I had done inside. So I ended up serving 15 months and I'm I'm a math guy. I'm a numbers guy, and so I like to kind of break it down. If if anybody out there, if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's book a long time ago, he talks about in order to become an expert in things, you need 10,000 hours. Right. And ironically, for me, that 15 months plus or minus on the math adds up to about 10,000 hours. And so when I was inside, I said, okay, what like what's really going to come from this? How am I really going to change other individuals' lives? Because every single one of us holds the pen. To our script in life. Every single one of us can change the story. We wrote the script. Now it's time for us to change that story. And so as I started to unpack this while I was inside, I realized that reducing recidivism is a, is a big fancy buzzword. There's a lot of celebrities involved and there's a lot of money that's poured into it. Right. But the way that I help reduce recidivism is by taking the incarcerated citizens and having them realize their purpose. And then we reverse engineer their plan so that they can live with intent and that every day they can feel greatness. Mm-hmm. And so I will tell you over the last 10 years, so many of my friends that are behind the walls who are incarcerated live a more meaningful and a more purposeful life than so many of my friends out here in society. And it's all goes back to one word. And that one word is identity.
1: Your self-image or what go ahead. Your self-image or like what you believe yourself to be or what? Do you mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Your identity. What is it? What is it that you say I am? So many of these individuals behind the gates will tell me, I am a drug addict. I am an, you know, I am, I am, I am, I am a felon. And so for me, I reframe that. I reframe that entirety, entirely. I want you to understand that something on this planet is divinely meant for you, and that you're here as a miracle. That's it. You are a 400 trillion to one chance of being born this decade, this century in America to your parents with the DNA and the God-given talents that you have. And so every single day you have to wake up knowing that you have this unique identity. Stop telling yourself this false narrative that you're a felon. Stop telling yourself this false narrative that you're an addict. I want you to wake up and reframe that conversation in your mind. So every day when you wake up and brush your teeth, you say, I am successful. I am the best father that ever lived. And so when we give them a a plan to reverse engineer it, I have them whiteboard it. And we do this for our clients that are on this side of the fence as well. So many people can't even tell you what they want for dinner tonight. Or you know how you right. go out with a, with a, with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or wife or husband and you go, Hey, you know, where do you want to go to eat? Everybody says, I don't care. Right. I don't do know. I don't care. And then when you get and, to the table, they're like, Hey, what are you eating? Yes, exactly. We can't even figure out what we want to eat, let alone what we want to do with our life. Right. And so we start to, we, we start to misunderstand our purpose. We start to get into this nine to five grind. We start to look at other people. We compare someone's chapter three to our chapter one. And we start to use buzzwords, you know, depression, anxiety, overwhelmed, stressed out. Mm -hmm. All of that is just a reaction because what's in your mind doesn't reflect what's in your life. And so when you look at your life and you go, oh, I should be skinnier. I should be richer. I should be married. I should have more kids. I should be pregnant, whatever it is. Then you, because of all your shoulds, you shouldn't never take any of those shoulds and turn them into musts. Mm. Interesting. That's your identity.
1: That's cool, man. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, like, it's one thing to just say, you, you know, um, I, I th- I'm going through a program where I talk about this thing called a knowing doing gap, right? Mm. There's a lot of things that you know you should be doing, but you don't actually do them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And then the closing that knowing doing gap is like the secret to, uh, you know, living to your fullest purpose or, you know, reaching your highest identity. And what they say is that knowing about the knowing doing gap doesn't fix shit. Yes. It's changing your self-image. Yeah, your identity. Your self-image is what closes the knowing doing gap, which it just blows my mind is that like, just awareness is not enough you know? No. Yeah. That's really, really cool, man. I, I definitely want to get into like what you're doing now, but I'm so just out of curiosity for myself. I'm, and I just think that listeners will love this too. It's like, how are you this young 25 year old raising all these, all this money and shit, right? Like I'm, I'm 28 and I'm like just two years into business and still stumbling upon stuff. You were young as hell crushing yeah. it. What was that like? And how did you even, how did you get your foot in the door? And why were you the one who was prosecuted? It was your company. It was your, yeah. Like, how did you get there? And then I also want to hear about how it was in prison too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was always my trajectory since I was young. I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, whether it was the lemonade stand out front or always trying to grind, you know, I, I, at a very young age, you know, would figure out what was needed in the community and how I could broker it and how I could be involved. And so, you know, even, even before school, you know, at the age of 14, 15, 16 years old, I would be on the phone. I worked for a company, a a diamond blade company, construction company, and they would let me work on commission. And, you know, I would be on the phone beforehand selling guys East coast time. So that, you know, talking to them about construction opportunities and talking to them about diamond blades, talking to them about their buzz saws, You know, this was prior to me even driving. And so I would try to sell like a baker's dozen, which was a 12 pack of blades, you know, with a free saw every morning, you know, it was $4,700 and I would get a 10% commission on that. And so, you know, this is at a very young age and it was always just for me, what I wanted to do. Business became very natural for me. I would, I could understand that almost everything was the same. I needed to either sell more or spend less. You know, and now we have a lot of optics and buzzwords around social media. But 20 years ago, I just knew we needed to get the marketing message out. I knew that I could sit down, talk with people, build a rapport and have them understand why our product was superior or why our idea was better. So that entrepreneurial spirit was always engaged inside of me. And so numbers for me were, were always fascinating and, and still are to this day. And I knew I always wanted to be part of, you know, that whole Wall Street mantra, that whole kind of like bad guy, bad boy image. For me, that was something that really allured me. It really drew me in. I wanted to make sure that I was set up for success. I came from a broken household. I came from a single mother household. And so money and the entrepreneurial idea was something for me that was just, I gravitated towards. And so raising money, raising capital came natural to me. People I, I, you know, and even to this very day, I have a, a fantastic network of folks who we help invest dollars. I don't take any more in. We do our own family office now. But most people will come to me on a daily basis because they know my background. They know I'm able to vet ideas and companies and people and smell the bullshit because right. I have been through the deep waters. I have been to prison and I know what a terrible investment deck looks like. So, that was, you know, that was really my upbringing and what got me to that point. Um, my mom and dad were always very entrepreneurial, always very trying to start a new business, figure out a new business, a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the family and small business capacity. And so it was just in my blood. And, and that led me to really being in the forefront. You know, when you're young and you're exciting and you're engaged in life. And it was also not very difficult. I'll be totally honest right. with you. It's kind of like right now, if if you if you purchased real estate in the last three years, you know, and you have a heartbeat, you've made money. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of people out there who've purchased four or five or six pieces of property, and they've raised 40, 50, hundred thousand dollars from family and friends, and now they consider themselves like real estate moguls and and flippers. Right. And and so that is. It's not that hard. I don't want to. I don't want to discount that process. Um, what was it like in prison? Boy. Um. Wait, 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 before
1: how are you? How are you getting? I mean, like, how did you get people to take you seriously when you're younger? Let's say there's like a younger crowd listening to this. Yeah. And they're like, man, how do I get on the phone with someone and get them to take me seriously? I haven't done anything. Uh, or.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's the that's the key right there that you haven't done anything right now. What I would suggest, if anybody's listening and you, and you are young and you really want to, you know, whether it's raise capital or look for investors or you have a great idea that that needs money. Mm-hmm. A couple things I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Um, raising capital, I always look at the jockey um, whenever I invest in anything and, and we invest in companies every month. Um, so if you have a great investment deck or you're looking for hard money loan or whatever it might be, you can reach out to us. And if I'm not able to do it, I can put you in touch with people that are, but if you're young and you're looking for your tribe, what I would suggest is that you make sure everything that you're putting out to the world is authentic and honest. So if you have the desire to build a real estate portfolio, for example, I would find the one house or the one duplex, or the one fourplex that you're gonna purchase, and then reverse engineer that start to finish. Make sure that you take photos of it. Make sure that you document your journey. If you're gonna rehab it, make sure that you go through the laundry list of items and the price points at the rehab costs. Make sure you take photos of the rehab, because what that does is it gives you this social proof. And most people will come to you and say, okay, let's talk about what you've done. And if your track record isn't super deep, then people will look people like me, investors will look to the jockey and they'll say, what is this guy made of? What is this guy or this gal? What have they done and what are they capable of doing? If we just pour a little gasoline on their fire. So don't think that you need to have a number of home runs or grand slams on your resume. You just need to be authentic and honest. And you just need to come through with every single thing that you've told people you would do.
1: That's great advice. Great advice. Um, Speaking of which, remind me afterwards, I got to connect you with someone who's got a, a software thing. Maybe you could help him out, get some some funds his way. Yeah, um, sure. He's been around the block. So, um, and um, yeah, prison. You, you get yeah. convicted, man. It's your first day in. I've yeah. never been. I can't even imagine what it's like. You, you got a, a jumpsuit on. You're going to go eat some food in front of everyone. <laughs> like, <laughs> is it as like harsh as a, like they paint it to be in, in TV shows and um in movies and things like that like what what's your, what was your experience like i know everyone's is kind of different but yeah. you also have experience from other people that you've helped to yeah. be able to speak on too so i'd love to get like some some stories
0: sure absolutely um for for my first 90 days was just all about intake uh that first process where they put the handcuffs on you and they take you you know in the back of the courtroom and they start processing you with blood work and photos and you know, all of, you know, your, your identification, so to speak, that process is just very numbing. You're going from concrete cell to concrete cell. There's a bunch of individuals that are around you, none of which look like you, me or talk like me. So it was a very out of body, very out of world experience. Um, I remember sitting down and while I was in the, one of those concrete holding cells, there was about a dozen guys in there. And the day that I was sentenced, I had a suit on. So I still had that suit on. And it was about two days later as we're going from from holding cell to holding cell and an individual came in and he looked like me and he talked like me and he had a suit on like me and so he sat down next to me you know most of the prison world is really uh, revolves around race and identity and so he was white and he sat down next to me and had a suit and I learned that he had a family as well and so I I got to know his story and his story was very similar to mine Um, not in terms of charge but just in terms of story and he had received an eight year sentence. He fought his charge and went to trial and received an eight year sentence. And that was the very first moment of me being incarcerated where I felt gratitude.
1: Ooh. That's another question. I'm like, how did you get there and not just be like, I'm fucked? My life is screwed. There's nothing. I mean, like, I mean, it's it's almost worth, worse than rock bottom in, in my yeah. head. Not like, I mean, it, rock bottom in the sense that you have nowhere to go, but up, but like, it's almost in a sense, like more like you're stuck there in my head. Like like when you get out, you're a felon. Now You can't get a job. You can't like, or these are the things I would think would go through people's heads that are in there, which is what you're transforming. So you're the perfect person to ask. So
0: um, everything you're talking about is a hundred percent true. Everything that you're saying is exactly what almost everybody feels and anybody who tells you that they didn't feel that way is lying in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Even me, with all of my resources and my connections and my beautiful wife and my family and my support system, I still felt alone. I still felt worthless, 100%. Anybody who tells you otherwise, I don't think is being authentic with themselves. For me, I'm not a prison guy. I'm not a guy who's going to tell you that you know I came out and I was a shot caller and I got prison ink and I thought that it was cool and I got high in prison. That's most of the time what happens. The system swallows these guys up because they don't have any self-confidence. They don't have any self-worth. They don't have any self-identity. So when they go to prison, they end up with 30 other guys and then they start to talk and look and walk and act like these guys. And they went in with a five-year sentence and they came out with a 12-year because of the, the ignorant behavior that goes on behind prison walls. And so for me, I did feel terrible. I did feel worthless. I did feel less than you know for those first 90 days. What pulled me out of that pit was when I finally got to my yard I got to a very low minimum yard which I was super grateful for I had no idea that on this particular yard and yards all around the country prison yards inmates get out every single day and they go and they work in the community so most people will tell you if you lined up 10 people at your local grocery store and you said hey did you know that inmates are workers and they get out in the community every day and we pay them a living wage people would think that you're crazy
1: yeah I had no idea
0: No clue and fortunate for me because of my background in finance and because of my education in college, I had the opportunity to become a tutor out at the community college and the community college had a program that benefited all five of the prison yards and so all five of the prison yards met there uh, Monday through Friday and I was a tutor out there through the Small Business Development Center. There's an SBDC program that was a grant program and so every day I went out and I taught business. To the inmates <laughs> that's
1: wild it's crazy. crazy so you got an inmate going out to community college just teaching people about business
0: yeah there were other <laughs> inmates yep there were other inmates just like me but all five yards you know congregated there yeah and it gave me eight hours a day to feel normal
1: hmm. i mean that that had to be a huge blessing
0: huge humongous huge. blessing
1: yeah, huge
0: yeah. i was that's what pulled me out of the pit to be honest and when i really started to realize that I could change the narrative for these guys. So many of them were entrepreneurs, they were just selling dope.
1: Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so they were
0: in the wrong area. And so I'd say, man, I can fix this. Every week my, my wife would come down Saturday and Sunday and I would brainstorm with her, literally manifest what's happening right now in my life. And so I would say, I can fix this problem. I can give these guys education and literacy and I can make sure that they don't come back. And it gave me a purpose Monday through Friday to go out and spend eight hours a day talking with these guys, building their businesses and really helping them develop self-worth.
1: Mm. That, there's two points I want to make here is number one, um, because I'd forget, is people listening to the show, they look down on felons, they look down on, you know, people who are incarcerated. And I want to make a point that you're probably a motherfucking felon out there. You just haven't been caught. Yep. Let's be honest right there. And yep. a lot of people you look up to are probably felons and haven't been caught. Um, so, I mean, there's not that much that separates you from them. And then the other thing I want to touch upon is, is your, your wife stuck with you these two years.
0: Yeah, she did. Yeah. And we're still together 15 years later. Amazing. Yeah. She's an incredible human. Melissa is, Melissa is God's gift, uh, to me on this earth. an angel,
1: right? (laughs) An absolute
0: angel. She is, she's the best decision that I've ever made. And for me, that, that really... That really helped me realize my identity. She's somebody, and and, and I'll tell this to everybody out there who's listening, when you're looking for a spouse, when you're looking for a significant other, so many of us are looking for somebody who's like us, and and there's an unhealthy codependency there, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Melissa, to me, is somebody who allows me to spread my wings and, at the same time, gives me my, my shine in the public, but then also allows me to be calm and gives me perspective on a nightly basis. How do I become better? How do I become more present as a father? And Melissa's whole goal in life is to make sure that her as a mother and me as a father, that we raise these four kids in a way that is epic, in a way that lets them know that they have love, that we have uncomfortable conversations at our dinner table, but that we make sure that our kids have an intestinal fortitude and that they realize that they have a unique purpose here on earth and that we can, as, you know, children of God, we can live up to that identity and it's our obligation to do so. Mm. Yeah. It
1: speaks to me as a father, God yeah, too. So yeah, it's always trying as an entrepreneur, you get caught up in like self-development quite a bit. Yeah. I have the hardest time figuring out how to translate that at home. Granted, my, my oldest is, is five years old, but yeah. like, trying to make it understandable for them and, and um, in a way that's not, not just like condescending, but um, gets them excited about it. And, and yeah. it's a, it's a, something I'm definitely evolving at. So it, if you have any tips uh, for parents out there to sit down and with their, their kids and not motivate them, motivation's not the right word. It's, it's yeah. like a mixture of like love, but wanting the best for them. I don't like. how would you, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what I've learned um, having gone back in prison, you know, for the last 10 years. What I've learned is that so many of the, the, the failures of the father figures in this world really lead to some poor choices and, and really are the reason that a lot of people are incarcerated. If you really unpack their why and, and when they took a left turn, so much of it was because the father wasn't present or the father didn't realize what his purpose was. And so for me, I want to make sure that anytime I'm having a conversation with my kids, that we remove limitations and barriers. That's what I, that's where I encourage my children. I've got a six-year-old daughter, Kennedy, who will, will run the, run a corporation one day. She has a very big mind and a very powerful heart. And, you know, she'll come in from kindergarten, from first grade, kick open my office door and say, all right. I got to start a dog walking business. There's six dogs in the neighborhood and I foster those environments. And so I know that there needs to be some tough conversations that are had and parents, fathers need to have those tough conversations. You look at finance, you look at physicality, you look at um, just general gratitude. Those are things that I talk about with my kids. Um, When I grew up, we didn't talk about money. And so if you don't talk about money, then where do you learn money? If, if nobody's teaching you money and nobody's telling you how much money they make and nobody's telling you how to make more money, where do I learn those things? But yet we want all of our boys to be successful. Right. That to me is very interesting. And so I make sure I have those conversations with my boy and make sure that he understands how much money it takes to make a good life and what opportunities are out there to make money. And those are conversations that I have. And he's 10. And like I said, my daughter's six and, and we talk about uncomfortable conversations on a daily basis when I'm with them. One thing that I've learned for the parents that are out there, one thing that I've learned and I learned this from a mentor of mine. And he said to me, every time I'm in the car, I turn off the radio. When my kids are with me, I turn off the radio. I make sure that I just have a conversation. If it's five minutes to practice or if it's 35 minutes you know, to, to, to run errands, I make sure that they know I'm here for them. And I make sure that more importantly, all of my kids hear all of my phone calls. When I'm talking with people, it could be business, could be finance, could be investments, could be a a mother that's going through some things that her son just got incarcerated. All of my phone calls are on speakerphone. I want my kids to hear both the positive side of life and also the, the things that can happen if you make poor choices.
1: That's great advice. And yeah, I'll leave it at that. I don't don't need to add anything to that. It's awesome. Um, Now let's bring it up to, to speed a little bit now, or wait, before I go there, while you were in prison, I have to ask, did you get caught up in any, uh, not so,
0: um, none of it, none of it, none of it, man. You know what I really realized prison politics, uh, worked to my benefit on the particular yard that I was on because two things are valuable in prison, um, and that is uh, violence and intelligence. And the particular yard that I was on, the, the, the motto or the mantra was everybody's going home. On that yard, everybody's going home. So don't mess up anything to where we don't go home. So fortunately for me, you know, the violence portion of it really didn't fit into the yard that I was on. Um, there's always prison politics, no matter what yard, however high, however low. But ours was very calm. Now, the second part that really benefited me was the intelligence portion. Once I really established myself both at the college and then on the yard, I became a wealth of information to these guys. They wanted to learn how do I set myself up for success and, and where do I go to invest? what stocks would you pick? And yeah. so I would just start walking the track, you know, on the workout yard, And these guys would come up to me and they would gravitate to me. And so we'd start a dialogue. And so what I learned then was if I was turning these guys' minds into positive conversations, then it would eliminate the possibility of moving into the negative. And so a lot of the tables that we had on the prison yard were talking about things that we were going to do outside of there after we got out. Really optimistic conversations. And so for me, luckily enough, I had five days a week where I left that yard and felt normal, like I talked about. But those other two days, Saturday and Sunday, were filled with my wife coming down and and visiting me. And so for me, my seven day experience was not terrible. Um, The food's horrible. The clothing's terrible. The conditions are wretched. All of that is very true. Mm -hmm. But I still every day woke up in a space of gratitude, knowing that I, I was getting out.
1: Got it. So I guess it does bring us to like now. So you got convicted mindset, right? Is that what it is? Convicted mindset.
0: Convictedmindset.com. Yeah, that's our coaching program. We learned many moons ago that a lot of the issues that were going on behind the prison walls, such as self-confidence or self-doubt, were also happening in the homes in America. I can't tell you how many fathers... Go ahead.
1: Of course. I mean, yeah, it's rampant.
0: Rampant. Yeah. Yeah. And you're totally right. And I'm telling you more of my guys in prison lead a more purposeful life. I can't tell you that. And there's people listening to this right now who either will do this or know of somebody who does this, who pull into the office today and think of the hundred reasons not to get out of the car. Hmm. There's guys that will drive home into their neighborhood and will circle the block because of the level of anxiety that they have. They don't want to go back home. These are real things that are happening and guys don't know how to deal with it. So what what do we do is we typically self-medicate. Sometimes it's alcohol, sometimes it's pills, sometimes it's porn, sometimes it's social media, whatever it might be. We pour ourselves into the self-medication because it's a salve. It makes us feel a little bit better about our conditions, because if we as men start using buzzwords like depression, well, then you're just going to be a sissy, right? We can't be depressed. So, we have to pour ourselves. Oh, I'm just working 60 hours a week. I'm working 70 hours a week. I don't have time for T ball. Oh, I can't really get to the gym. I feel like crap. All of this habit that you formed because your life doesn't mirror your reality. What you have in your mind doesn't mirror your reality. And so you become frustrated.
1: So, what does someone do about that? Man,
0: so many things. Where to begin? Yeah, exactly. What, Where
1: to begin? What's the first thing right, you can tell yeah. someone to do?
0: Man, the first thing I would do is I would, I I talk about vision creation. Um, Sean and I have a program where we walk guys through vision creation, whether you're in prison or in society. What is it that you want to get out of life right now? Sit down at the top of a piece of paper, put the number 78. You typically get, we typically get 78 of these birthdays. Us North American white men live to the average age of 78. And how many of those birthdays have you already used up? I then put that into perspective really quick. What are the two things that you want to get out of this life? And most people will tell me, uh, like, I want to be a good dad. Great. It's a good starting point. It's a terrible goal. There's no vision there.
1: Okay. What does that
0: mean? Does that mean that I want to pick my kids up every day at 355 at of school? Does that mean that I want to make sure I cook dinner every night at 530 and, and have a family dinner at a dinner table? What does that mean? What is that vision that you want to create for your life? And so I don't want you to come and tell me that you want more money. That's a lie. Money means something to you. That's what I want to pull out of you. And so like I tell people all the time, if you've if you've wondered, if you've pondered about your life purpose for a long time, if you want to build a business, if you want to start something new, there's a zillion resources that are online or at YouTube or you know, there's even a group you can join or you can buy a course. The resources are not what's stopping you. It's your identity. It's your scared. It's your lack of clarity. Mindset. It's your self. Exactly. It's yeah, your yeah. self-worth. And so you have to let go of all of that. All of that. You have to let go and you have to get super clear. What is your vision? What do you want to create for this life for those next X amount of birthdays until you hit 78 and you expire? So what's an
1: example of a good goal?
0: A good goal, yeah. And my goal, like I'll I'll, I'll give you one for me. Yeah, I want to have enough money to where I don't need somebody or some corporation to dictate what I do during the day, so that when my kids need me, before school, during school, or after school, I can drop anything and be present
1: without having any repercussions financially or zero.
0: Yeah, that's zero. It's clear. Very clear. Right. That's how I structure my day. You yeah. know, that's exactly what I want out of my life. I want my kids to know if they text me at two thirty five on a Tuesday that I'm there and I don't have something that has pulled my time away and I'm trading time for money. That's good. Now.
1: I uh, if my goal was. Let's say I, I want to have enough money so that like traveling or going and doing the things that I want to do is not a sacrifice. Right. Like if I want to go visit my um, my brother in California, just this weekend, because I feel like it. And I want to bring my daughter without even thinking about just going and doing that. Is it, would you say that's clear enough? Or like, is there still like some gray area that I could refine that to get, make it better?
0: Definitely still some gray area in there that I would refine it. So, so what, like when, when you say you just want to be able to take off,
1: yeah, I mean, it, I think it's the freedom aspect. Of, I think it's a lot of what you're saying. Like, it's more just like the ability to make a decision without financial, without any influences of like, I don't want to have to say no because of finances. And I don't want to have to say yes because I'm saying yes because I can finally afford something.
0: You know what I mean? Yes, 100%. And so for me, I would start to look at like your life, for example, and I would put expenses on one side of a piece of paper and revenue on the other side. Sure. I, would, I would eliminate any expense that you are carrying for other people. So many people are carrying another expense for other people that they don't know who they don't care about in the form of like a car payment. If you're driving around in a vehicle that doesn't serve you, and that vehicle is making you work towards something that doesn't serve you, I would start to eliminate those expenses. What are the things that you can eliminate to where you can boil down finitely What money do I have coming in? What money do I have going out? That's where I would start, step one. Step two is any money that you have that that is now coming in over and above your expenses, your fixed expenses, the stuff that we've gotten rid of, I would now start to invest those dollars to where you get to a point every year where you're investing so much that your monthly expenses are now exceeded by your investment revenue.
1: How do I know where to invest?
0: Great question. Depends what you want to do. I tell people there's two ways. So number one, most people will come to me with two of the bigs. It's stock market and real estate. Real estate, right, yeah. Yep, exactly. And so um, I'll walk you through a couple ways. Number one, if you're looking for a retirement account, like a, just a good general, where do I invest in the stock market? I always refer everybody over to the Vanguard accounts, which are target date retirement funds. A target date retirement fund is exactly what it sounds like. What's the date that I'm going to retire? 2050, all right? Vanguard will put together a portfolio mix that will put your stocks and your bonds into a mix that's aggressive now and becomes less aggressive as time goes on and you get closer to that retirement age. it's It's a set it and forget it. So number one, target date retirement accounts with Vanguard, that's where I would start with everybody. Pick your target date retirement, Start with $1,000. You can start today at Vanguard.com and you can start on your journey to retirement freedom. That's the first way. Second way is in real estate is a company that I enjoy. I have no ties to this or anything. I don't have a promo code or any of that crap, but it's a real estate investment company called Fundrise. Um, It's all one word, Fundrise.com. They are real estate holding company where they aggregate investors, they put investors together, and the investors will uh, invest together on a particular asset. So for example, they're going to raise, I'm just using round numbers here, they're going to raise $3 million for uh, an apartment building in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And you look at that and you say, okay, I like this rate of return. I like where this apartment is going. I know some things about Tulsa, whatever it might be and you can invest as little as $1,000 into that apartment building. And -hmm. you can start to get a quarterly return from that apartment building. Fundrise and Vanguard are two ways that you can start today with $2,000 to invest in the stock market and not not really freak out about where your money goes and invest in real estate and not really freak out about where your money goes. Those are the two of the simplest ways to get started in investing.
1: That's cool. That was a beautiful answer because, like, I was one of those questions. I think it's one of those knowing doing gaps for me. I like, I know I should be investing. I probably could figure out where I should put my money, but it's like there's something about my identity, the, the way I look at myself, that I'm like, I'm not ready or yeah. I, I I, don't deserve to have a retirement fund or is there something going on there behind the scenes sure. that I haven't cracked yet? But sure. Because um, I mean, it's definitely not the, the $1,000 that's holding me back, you know? I, right.
0: Um, so you start today. Everybody should start now. You know, most right. of the time when you start, people just get into the weeds. They, it's an overwhelming experience to invest in the stock market. Where do I start? How much do I purchase? What, what, what stock is good? Am I looking for a dividend stock? I mean, there's a million questions. Right, Exactly. I think you, you just go into the weeds and I tell people just don't start with a target date retirement fund. You're going to go in there. You're 28. So you've got, you know, let's call it 40 years from now. So Mm -hmm. 2065 is the date that you're going to pick. 2065 is the retirement date. Boom. You're going to put a thousand bucks in today. It's going to fund it and you're going to set it and forget it. The good news Mm -hmm. for you is every every single piece that I talked about earlier, you know, let's say you remove that car payment, that boat payment, that house payment, that trailer payment, that quad payment, that side-by-side payment, whatever it is, you remove that. And it's that you take that 200 bucks and you automatically put it into that target date retirement fund now every month. Boom, 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 boom. And now you get to the point a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now with compound interest. Now you have these two awesome little nest eggs. And so I tell everybody, if you start you know, with, with $1,000 today and you're talking about compounding you know, at the rate of return that we're getting right now, you've got typically you, have about five cycles left of compound interest The way, as young as you are. You know, interest will typically compound about every seven years, which is double. Yeah. You know, so if you start with 5,000, five becomes 10 and 10 becomes 20 and 20 becomes 40 and 40 becomes 80. And that's by not doing anything. You just put the 10 in and you walk away. So you put 10 into investments, you put 10 into real estate. You've got these two little $80,000 pots when you retire. And as goofy as that might sound, you're talking 160 grand in cash. hmm so how many of those $10,000 pots can you accumulate in your life? That's where I take people's power to. Now reverse engineer it. All right, a $10,000 pot may sound like a lot, but it's plus or minus 800 bucks a month. All right, mm-hmm. so then how do I get 200 extra dollars a week? Yeah. Now I have That's something. That's a lot easier. For it's sure. a way, way easier. I, and so I, most I, of us, you know, go out, get a job at 15 bucks an hour, work for an extra 15 hours a week and take that entire paycheck and put it away. And there's your $10,000 pot every year. And now you're talking about incredible wealth. 10 years from now, 10 on 10, you know, now you've got six figures and you're all of 38 years old. And everybody's looking at you like, dude, how do you not work? You know, you're not even 40 years old yet. Well, let me show you. Well, that's
1: interesting. Cause I mean, like just in my business, I mean, we're, I could probably find an extra six grand a month if I wanted to be. Yeah, I could probably make that happen. And uh, j- just by being a little leaner and meaner. And then but I yeah. I always um, I think I'm more of an abundance mindset than the limited mindset, where a lot of people will tell you to cut your expenses like you did. I think it's very practical for people working a nine to five, they have a salary and things like that, yeah. go and cut your expenses down because you you're fixed working your 40 hours a week, correct? Like a side hustle going on or work that extra, you know, two days, two 10 hour days on the weekend for your 15 bucks an hour and and put that somewhere. But I would rather say, go, go find six more clients. Yes. And, 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 you know, pay for the the cost of those clients and then put the rest of the profit into something like that. Cause that's, that's crazy. I never even process. It's great to have a conversation with someone who knows what they're talking about. Cause I mean, $10,000 a year is like, it's really like not that much. It's nothing. I mean, I don't it's mean, not
0: you. You you figure the average car payment in America is seven hundred eighty one dollars. Yeah, that's crazy. There's your ten grand. This there's your ten grand. Easy, easily, and that's without that's without really changing much, right? No, you know. So no, there's ways to find it, and so I tell everybody: you take you take your you take your ten grand a year. You put it in retirement. You take your ten grand a year. You put it in real estate. Ten years from now, you're gonna have two hundred thousand hmm. dollars.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have to talk to you offline or something. We'll get something streamed out. Or I'll just go to Fundrise. Or I'll go to uh, the Vanguard.
0: There's so um, many. Honestly, if yeah, anybody yeah. has any questions, you know, yourself included, you know, I mean, you, you can Google me. There's a, My cell phone's all over the internet, unfortunately, at this point. But um, <laughs> but honestly, whether it's you, you know, whether it's anybody who's listening, if you if you have a question, you want to start a business, you want financial advice, and I'm not giving you financial advice from like a, you know, a CPA perspective, just... From a guy who's lived it, from a guy who invests in dozens of companies and and lives my life by the mantra that I do have freedom. I have physical freedom, spiritual freedom, mental freedom, financial freedom. Those things to me are priceless. And if I can teach what I've learned with all the scars on my back and I can show you how to do it, that just makes me happy. So, you know, convictedmindset.com, you can drop us a line and more than happy. You know, just tell us in the subject line what it is that you'd like to chat about. I'll jump on the phone with you for 15 minutes, whoever, and, and be happy to walk you through what we've been able to do.
1: That's awesome, man. Let's talk about it too. Where where can they find you on socials at Travis Ritchie? Or what, what is it? What's the what's yeah? It?
0: On Instagram is where I'm usually most active. It's uh, I am Travis Richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y. Um, I'll link it up in
1: the notes and everything too, guys. So beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Our nonprofit organization is accomplishedventures.org. That nonprofit, if anybody's out there who you know has a loved one that's incarcerated. Um, or is going through, you know, a a justice impacted perspective. If you're looking for resources, you know, that's our nonprofit. It's at accomplishedventures.org. And if you're an individual who's on this side of the fence, who just is dying to get the most out of life, personally, professionally, financially, mentally, physically, uh, convictedmindset.com is the place for you to go. We have a 52 week program where we walk you through how to become great. Sounds good, man.
1: Um, I have like a few questions that I always ask all my guests and I just want to get your perspective on it. Um, so, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Okay. What's the, what's the biggest regret you have in your life and why?
0: Wow. Biggest regret that I have in my life is going to be, um, being away from my wife for 500 nights.
1: Yeah. I bet, man. Yeah. You don't even need to go into why that's a tough one when you really love someone, you know,
0: it's, it's yeah. Yeah. No. That. uh, Yeah. And I'm a cuddler, so it was. Tough.
1: <laughs> you, you didn't <laughs> want to do too much cuddling in prison. No. Zero. <laughs> zero. No. Thank you. <laughs> uh, if you could go back in time, you, you only get three sentences to tell yourself. Mm. What age would you go back to and tell yourself, and what were those three sentences?
0: Mm. Man, that's a great question. What age? <laughs> I'm going to say I would go back to 12 years old. Wow. That's, you know, that's really when my family life started to fall apart. Um, I would, I would say my three sentences, I would tell myself greatness is an obligation. Christ kept the scars and fall in love with the process. Mm.
1: That's good, man. That's good. Is there anything that the listeners could do to support you? You've already given a million ways that you can go and help them out. And then in just this episode alone, I think there's so much value and I learned a lot. So uh, is there anything that we can do to support you? Can we go buy a, a t-shirt? Can we go like follow you or share your stuff out? Like how can we Yeah, just you share our
0: stuff life? out to the people that need it? Honestly. And the best thing that you can do to support us is, is just stop living a mediocre life, you know, make sure that, Um, I'll leave you with this. Uh, We all run around every day using the, the F word. And that F word gets us into a lot of trouble. And that word is fine. The F word of life that needs to be removed from your vocabulary is fine. You have an identity that's inside of you that other people need to know about. You have a story that needs to inspire other people. You have gone through a pit, you have gone through some trials, some tribulations, you have some scars. And all of that process needs to be shown and told and inspired so that other people can go through their process the same way. And for me, when you walk around telling everybody that you're fine, you really lose out on the gift of life and other people lose out on your gifts.
1: Ooh, so good. That's good, man. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. The I do this for free. It's the same reason you do what you do, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I want to go and help people. I want people to have access to people like you and all the other guests I've had on the show. Um, just because, I mean, a big part of my progression, I used to, a lot of people have been listening. They know I've been, I was used to wait tables at Red Robin two years ago and I was going to become a, a restaurant manager. Um, and what got me off my ass is I found a, uh, a like a self-help book, The Slight Edge and, um the, the office manager there had it and I took it and I read it, I stole it. <laughs> and, and then I started listening to podcasts. And then I started, you know, writing down three things a day that I was grateful for until I had this massive lifts. And then it was a snowball, but it was because I got information from other people that I didn't have and didn't have access to. And, and so I, I want to bring access to like awesome people like this and there's no payment. I don't want, I'm not going to sell you anything on this show. Um, I just ask that you share this out. I'll yeah. share it out to someone who needs it. If this wasn't like the right episode for you, I mean, maybe a cousin's getting ready to go to prison and he needs access to guys like Travis, Rich, Richie, or someone who just got out, or I mean, really anyone who's, who's stuck. I mean, stuck, I really, yeah. yeah it, it doesn't have to be someone who's like going through that really hard time, mm-hmm. but I think he's got what, what, he has the tools that you need to, to move your life forward. And then we get access to more people like him. The more you share this out, leave a review. And thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me. Travis, thank you so much for being on the show, brother.
0: My pleasure, guys. And remember, do not put a comma in your life. Do not put a period in your life where God intended for you to put a comma.